because they're German. I'm just saying. <laughs> Could have matched it up a bit. That Did wasn't it. impressive. <laughs> now we got a little spin on it. Click and flick. That one wasn't impressive either. Packaged with 60% returned bottles. Interesting. What are you drinking over there? Uh, Ben. Ben. <laughs> I'm drinking Oktoberfest. They have their own Oktoberfest line. Sweet. It's a bit heavier than I would normally do, but it's got a nice like spice to it. And I was mm -hmm. filling, filling my fall beers. There's one that's not a local company that does a really delightful like pumpkin spice one. And I am excited for that one. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the one who cleans the coffee pot that you can hear in the background, Kristen Bloom. That's my bad. The million dollar baby. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have to talk about that? That was so sad. We're going to talk about I that. We're going to talk about that. Just for a little bit. <laughs> That's my only topic, so we have to talk the about only that. topic? It's the only one. Well, I had exciting news. You do. Kristen got to meet the head of the department. Well... I'm not sure if it's the head of the entire department or just the head of the film department. But yeah, um, I feel like we've probably mentioned that I sent in my application yeah. for the master's program. I know we've definitely mentioned that Brett and I are looking at applying, but Brett's applications don't open until October, so Brett cannot apply yet. Um, but I sent mine in, I think at the beginning of July, maybe, or mid-July. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I just assumed I hadn't heard anything back because I haven't gotten all of my letters of recommendation turned in yet, and also I'm applying for next fall, so I was like, oh, I'll probably hear like, sometime around like Christmas or something whether or not I got in. Speaking of uh, letters of recommendation, I hear there's a, a very impressive author that will be writing one of your Is letters so? of recommendation. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I got a really random email out of the blue on Friday that was from, I think he's the head of the film department. Um, and I know he's definitely one of the professors at the very least, but um, it was like, oh, I'm sorry, I've you know been away. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't alerted that your application had been sent in. I apologize for the delay and you know, getting back to you, you know, would love to meet up when you get a chance. Yeah. And I was like, oh, conveniently I'm free this afternoon. <laughs> so we met up and I was like, this is bizarre because I definitely thought I just applied way too early. And they were like, fuck you, lady. We'll tell you later. <laughs> um, I have not officially been accepted, so I don't want to jinx it. But um, they are interested in me starting sooner, if yeah. possible, if I'm accepted. <laughs> so, <laughs> and school starts in like a week, right? I think it starts on Monday. Jesus. Yeah, I think it literally starts this next week. There you go. Um, I I don't see myself realistically starting that soon, but it was kind of implied if I got in, I could start this semester or next semester if I wanted. That's fantastic news. Um, so I feel like maybe that's an indication I might get in. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. I'm, I'm excited for you, love, and I think you should look into seeing if you can get in this semester. I mean, just to weigh your options, if we can get the right grants and stuff that we need um, throughout the semester to kind of keep us on our feet. I don't even know what getting your master's costs. I'm assuming it's probably more expensive than getting your bachelor's yeah. uh, per semester. I'm 
I'm guessing overall because it's a shorter program. It's probably not as expensive, but I'm assuming they charge you more for each semester. So mm-hmm. I don't even know what it costs. <laughs> I'm like, oh fuck, I got to figure this out. Well, I'm proud of you. I mean, that's a huge development. You know, getting to sit down and talk with them about the program mm-hmm. and um, basically, it sounds like being offered. You know, in not so many words, um, to come and join. It's left me in this very terrifying limbo, though, because I don't know how it works because I've never applied for a master's program. And when you apply for a bachelor's, you get a formal acceptance letter from the university. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, hey, congratulations, you got in if you want to come here. And um, I don't know if they do that for the master's program or if the head of the department just goes, yeah, we'll take you. (laughs) Well, I mean, you've got two connections over there, and they're both really good contacts. The guy that you spoke with, after our tour and technically he's not a part of the film program he's a part of the gaming program i guess but they kind of work together gaming program so he does like virtual reality stuff but i guess like he does like programming for like virtual reality games and stuff but they kind of integrate it's very confusing apparently the way their program works and i think this is even for the bachelors um they kind of tried to integrate all of the students. So if a student who's technically an art student is kind of interested in like applying mm-hmm. their art over to something else, they kind, kind of, of a Montessori model. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. So like if someone's like a graphic designer, but they want to do specifically like VR gaming, they kind of integrate with like the film and the gaming and stuff to nice. kind of get a more rounded education. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that guy is actually, I guess, technically a part of the gaming program or like the. I don't know if it's technically considered a gaming or if it's yeah. like program writing or whatever he does. It's weird but. to think about, but I guess you do need a formal college education for a lot of the video game stuff. Like yeah. I, I don't know why that's never crossed my mind before that that would be a viable option to get your degree in. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Go to school and create video games for a living if you want. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess technically, if you're good enough, you could teach yourself and maybe somebody will hire yeah. you. But I feel like more and more places these days are like, I want to see your bachelor's. Yeah, <laughs> like, where's the coding? <laughs> <laughs> where's that piece of paper? I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to fucking start. There was this uh, guy that went to my first screenwriting class with, and he would make these little videos around Murfreesboro, um, and then he would overlay... Uh, SpongeBob characters over them, so like as he would, he'd make like my adventures to the liquor store, and then like as he's at the liquor store, like he's having conversations with SpongeBob and Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> and like Squidward would be behind the register, but like it would be overlaid onto the real world shot. Huh. And I always thought that was really cool because the dude was not going to school to do that; he just taught himself that on the side. I guess while he was doing something else. I think he had, like, a business degree, but he was, like, really into this, you know, overlaying SpongeBob characters. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? You're... No, get away from the business program. If you taught yourself that shit, I wouldn't even know how to start. I don't know how to turn on Kristen's camera, let alone shoot something, edit that, and then overlay, you know, characters on top of it. I'd, I'd be fucked. There's no way I could make a video game. That is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to do it. I but can't I think... run WordPress. Like, I have problems designing my own website. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it, but I think in theory it'd probably be a fun job. I'm sure there's probably jobs for writers for video games, too, because somebody's got to write the storyline. There is. I um, applied, or fake applied. It was for my professional writing class. Like, you had to find a position that was open. And, like, the final project was, like, building out a resume and cover letter to the point that you could actually apply for that job. 
but we were all we hadn't graduated yet so none of us were qualified to actually go get these gigs but they wanted it to be big companies and like just a test run for whatever you got out yeah my first one was a writer for nintendo nashville i think was looking for a like their office i guess in nashville or atlanta um was looking for a writer for nintendo and i was like that would actually be pretty cool yeah. <laughs> Get i mean to write the storyline definitely a different type of writing but yeah because I mean... you'd have to write i'd imagine i mean your main storyline of course and all your sub things that your character might be able to do but what intrigued me is like rockstar uh who makes grand theft auto they're always getting problems you know when they wrap up a grand theft auto game because they're burning their staff out they've got these huge teams to make like grand theft auto 5 how big that writing room has to be because every character you interact with says different shit there's like scripted radio things that happen for the different days of the weeks and the different times on the radio for like 20 radio stations and you've got like all these things that people may never do in the game you know like if you're out there collecting wild herbs in the mountains in grand theft auto 5 or like a red dead redemption type game you're writing dialogue that a lot of people aren't going to hear because they're just going to play the linear one role i wonder how many people it takes to write just the dialogue alone you're not like literally creating the individual tasks but i mean you still kind of have to like outline an outline at the very least of like this is the main goal of the game but you mm-hmm. could also do these 20 other things if you would like so I'm <laughs> and they sure all the tie in writers yeah. do that it all ties into the characters yeah it's definitely a writing team that throws that stuff together I, i'm that's what i'm gonna do i'm yeah. gonna try to get a job at rockstar i will say growing up uh, my favorite video games were um more like role-playing video games so like I loved the Final Fantasy series, mm-hmm. and those are very heavy, like, plot-driven games. I mean, there's action, you fight a lot of yeah, things. you don't need you... a lot of writers to write the UFC game that I no. play. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, and that's part of what makes them so interesting, is, like, the characters are so lovable, mm-hmm. or at least, like, you want to know more about them, yeah. even if you don't like them. Like, the bad guy in Final Fantasy VII is, like, crazy, mm-hmm. but... It's like, like, oh, he's, like, super interesting, too. <laughs> like your shopkeepers, even, and a lot of those types of mm-hmm. games, you know, where you got to go in, they've got to say something quirky, and it can't always be the same, you know, conversation. That's interesting. We should look into that. Uh, I can't remotely design video <laughs> games, so you should look into that. <laughs> you, you should look right into that. Well, they that. need directors. <laughs> but they're, they're video game directors. Uh, probably not literal directors. They're probably people that have programming degrees. <laughs> is that what it is? I probably. thought it was like, this is how I want the shot to look, and then they give that to the people. I don't know no, shit would, about computers. I would imagine that is 100% uh, graphic design artist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know shit about computers. My phone is dying a slow death. I'm going to have this computer until it shits out in the middle of an episode one day. <laughs> and I'm not good with it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I... But that is pretty cool. I at one point knew the very basic uh, concept of coding to create a website. I mm-hmm. couldn't do anything crazy. I know if I hit F12, it brings up a bunch of shit on the right-hand side of the screen, and I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> um, I don't think I remember how to do any coding anymore at all, though. Like, I knew, like, really basic stuff whenever I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I use a Wix now, and uh, it's basically just, like, Somebody goes, here's all the shapes you can use. Drag them around. And I'm like, cool. Click, drag. <laughs> Just play them with my blocks. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and that is much easier for me. Yeah. And you updated the episode descriptions. 
today. Most of them. You did a shitload while I slept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which I think I actually talked about that in the episode I posted today. We're a bit behind. I posted the episode about Spiral in one bedroom today, and we actually make a joke about that. Like, mm. one day we'll get the descriptions updated, and I was like, today I did most of them. <laughs> so yeah, there's like almost 200 episodes. I think like 145-ish yeah. now have descriptions, and I have because of my OCD, gone back and corrected the Twitter on all of them. So, um, Speaking of which, what is that Twitter handle? It is at the Nightmare Box. Fuck yeah. Which Brett will now be in charge of, and I, I, I have relinquished it. I am going to do something on my computer, because I, I, I use Twitter a lot. I never tweet. I go there for what's the news of the day and what's going on in the boxing world. Like I, I mainly watch sparring videos on Twitter. It's at 90% of what I do. But I think if I either figure out how to have both accounts on okay. my phone or um, just do it through my computer, I'm going to try to do it, like update it three times a week just as a starter. Um, I have a obsessive personality, so I don't want to be... 30 times a day updating the Twitter as good as that would be for the brand. Um, but I want to have some sort of an interaction, you know, with the audience. And Kristen is taking over the Instagram page, which is? Uh, I was always in control of it, so that should show you how shitty of a job I've done at it. Uh, <laughs> nobody else was ever in control of it except for me, and it has not been posted on for like a year. Uh, but it's at Nightmare Box Productions. And we're going to figure out ways to get both of those rolling again so we can have a bit more engagement. So if you guys can, you know, keep an eye on those, go follow those for us. Um, that'll enable us to talk to you about, you know, if you have a movie that you want us to talk about that we can, you know, get, um, or a book that you want discussed or some element of filmmaking or writing, I think that would be awesome would help us grow as a show and i've got a good chunk of the episodes on imdb now i have all of the episodes that have descriptions that are up to date are on the imdb also so Fuck yeah uh, i mean if you're just curious you can peek at the imdb it's got a couple of photos and then i'm it's an got... actor <laughs> 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 it's got um credits for everyone who's been on the show. Jax is our eternal producer. He's the best boy. <laughs> no, on the podcast, he's the producer. He's the producer of the show. Yeah. <laughs> he's the producer of the show. Makes sense. He's it's asleep a... laying on top of the charging cables. <laughs> I think it's on the Instagram too, but on the IMDb, there's a really cute photo of him sitting on the couch and he's got your notepad like under his elbow. And <laughs> they're all studious and like supervising the show. Hell yeah. So we'll be a lot more active on there. Um, I mean, if we post once a month, we'll be a lot more active <laughs> yeah. on there than we have yeah, been. Yeah, I don't think either of those have had a post in like a year. Yeah, and I'm hoping to get some stories uh, a-brewing. I've got a few things in my notebook I can work on um, at any given time. I just need to sit down and do them. So I think I'm going to try to like designate maybe, you know, Tuesday because I'm off on Tuesdays and I don't talk to my mom. I call my mom every Monday because I'm the best son in the world. Um <laughs> On Tuesdays, I don't really have anything to do. I get all of my cleaning and stuff done on the Monday while Kristen's at work. Um, so Tuesdays, I might be able to dedicate, you know, like a two-hour span to try to work on something that I can kick out. They're not going to be masterpieces. They're not going to be perfectly rounded out. 
Um, but if you've read The Madman Diaries, that's how I wrote that little collection there, was I posted up a different story every week, I think for like a year, and then pulled all the stories, picked 15, fixed them, and then released that you know, little collection pamphlet. Why did you pull all of them if you weren't putting all of them in the book? I didn't want people to know which ones were in the book. Mm, makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely understand pulling the ones yeah. that were going into the book, because obviously you want people to buy the book. But... Yeah, but I didn't want them to know which ones they were, because they were the most popular ones that were there, so I needed to pull them for like three or four months and then tell everybody, hey, I'm working on this little collection thing. And then I think I wrote three that weren't on the website at all. I think the opening, the closing, and one of the ones in the middle. I like the, the letter didn't exist, and then the final story um, were both offline type things. Um, I'm not declaring that I'm ever going to do that again, but I do want to get back to this. It might just be an essay of something that I'm thinking of on that random Tuesday mm -hmm. or a fictional story that I post up could be anything I'm not going to tell you the difference but if it's written from the female standpoint you can assume that it's not an essay <laughs> and when I release them like that the horror stories that I post have a better impact because I'm giving you like, my personalized view of sitting in a park in London which was one of the things I think is still up there and then post a horror story from the first person perspective the same perspective as that park story gives it a bit more does that make sense? Am I mm -hmm. making sense? Like it elevates the authority of the piece mm -hmm. when I do something like that so I'm going to try to do a weekly story again or a bi-weekly story again if I only get one story out a month I'm killing my pace. <laughs> well, I think it'd be good, too, for both of us to just be practicing and stuff and more in general, because, I mean, I haven't shot anything since the animal control video either, and mm -hmm. it just, I don't know. It does start to make, I think, the weight of the day job and just stress in life in general, like, seem a bit heavier when yeah. you're not doing your own stuff, so... It'll be nice to kind of get back into it and even... We're going to get out there and create, <laughs> motherfucker. Even the... Homework assignment. We're doing a movie a month. No. A movie a week. No. A movie every hour. No. <laughs> <laughs> even the podcast. Um, I'd never, ever set out with like, oh, I want to be a podcaster. Like, this was kind of no, an this experiment. This is fun because I get to talk to you. <laughs> Focused. This was kind of an experiment. Uh, Brett and I were like, we'll give it a go. And I already had a microphone. So we were just like, yeah, we'll try it out. And... Um, even the podcast has kind of fallen by the wayside, unfortunately, just because everything's just been kind of all over the place. And our status on iTunes has dropped down until we update monthly. And I was like, well, that's kind of frustrating. That's <laughs> a little so, fucked up. Was it like, was twice a week. So I was like, yeah, I need to kind of get back on track. And mm -hmm. I think I am a person who likes organization. Um, not like every aspect of my life I don't get like really bent out of shape if like some things are out of place or some things are a bit messy or whatever I just don't like clutter and looking like I'm disorganized you're making I think, it sound like we live in I mean no, there are boxes in the living room that I'm have been not, sitting here for a year yeah, <laughs> I'm not necessarily talking about literal like physical clutter we both though. have depression if we would let me talk <laughs> I'm not talking about just literal physical clutter though like I think even the fact that a lot of the episodes on the podcast don't have descriptions to me is kind of like oh we're just all over the place what's happening yeah. here and I think once I get it caught back up I'll feel 
like a bit more like, okay, we've got this together. It looks good. We can move on now. <laughs> yeah, if people are looking for particular topics or particular films, then they can kind of scroll through and be like, well, this one's writing heavy, this one's film heavy, this one has something to do and with, you know, formal education. Some of some of the descriptions you'll find are significantly wittier and more fun, and some of them you can tell I did 20 descriptions in a day to try <laughs> to catch up. But uh, you'll at least know what the episode's about. Hell yeah. And we covered issues with extreme prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even listened to that one yet. I'm afraid of that one. I'm not going to lie. That was the one right before this one. That uh, was the one I said I was going to cut off the whole ending. That's the one that I said I was going to cut off the whole ending because Brett can't behave. I don't think I made my point. (laughs) We we shall find out. You'll know by the time you're listening to this whether or not I edited Brett out of the episode entirely. (laughs) I... I, I, what I meant to say wasn't hateful. I don't know if I did a good job of explaining the way. I had a couple of beers. I wonder I was, that sometimes about some of our episodes. I'm like, did we make a point or did we just make an ass yeah, of ourselves? I felt like I was smart at the time. Like I knew what I was trying to say, but I couldn't find the words in the moment. And that's what podcasting is. Well, um, this speak, podcast is called Mistakes Were Made. Mistakes so. Were Made. It's not we got it right the first time. It's never been that. Um, but I've got one topic that I really wanted to get into today. And it is going to be spoiler heavy. So if you've never seen Million Dollar Baby, <laughs> if you've never seen Million Dollar Baby, is it the song Billion Dollar Babies by Alice Cooper? No. It's the movie Million Dollar it's Baby. the most depressing Hillary movie Swank, you've ever Clint seen. Hillary Swank, Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman. The other night was the anniversary. Uh, the anniversary. It was my dad's birthday. would have been my dad's 60th birthday. And technically the anniversary of his birth. The anniversary of his birth, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been 60 years old. He died at 54. Um, and my dad and I watched a lot of boxing. When my parents divorced when I was 15. He moved into this little apartment where he just stayed hammered and we had a lot of problems. And there were two things that really brought me and him together on any level. It was stand-up comedy and boxing, and those are two of my favorite things in the world. Like, I, I, I will put down everything to watch a highlight reel of Mike Tyson. I quote stand-up all the time. I'm listening to stand-up all the time. When I'm not listening to stand-up comedy, I'm listening to podcasts from stand-up comics. It's one of my favorite things ever. I can't do it. I'm not funny. I'm angry. <laughs> it's not that you're not funny. <clears throat> Your brand of funny is just a bit more over the line than most people's <laughs> brand of funny. So when you tell a joke, humor. when you tell a joke, you're like, "I'm hilarious," and I'm like, like "To that, some people." I mean, that one involved baby rape and cannibalism, so I don't know you're if that was going to the to air. Some people, yeah. Um, and so on the anniversary of his birth, I I was like, "Can we watch a boxing thing?" Because I, you know, I. I don't want to rewatch Rocky for like the fucking 18th time. Kristen doesn't like watching boxing. You know, like you wouldn't sit down and watch a 12 round fight with me. Like if I put on, you know, an old Muhammad Ali fight with the commentators and stuff, I think it would bore you to tears. It's not that I wouldn't. So the difference for me is if there was an upcoming fight that you were really into, mm-hmm. I would watch it because it was something new that you were into that you wanted to watch. I'm not saying I wouldn't sit down and watch an like old... The, like the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight? Maybe. Part three? Um, 
<laughs> I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch an old fight with you. I would be much less inclined, especially if you had seen it already. I'd be like, mm, that's and a- yeah, and because of that, we watched ESPN Classics because I would go over there for like every other weekend. And Sunday around noon, they just show rumble in the jungle or they show the old Tyson yeah. fights and so I know who's going to win every fight of those it's like oh Sonny Liston does this and this and that and then Poppy fucking falls <laughs> I'm not a huge sports fan in general so it's not particularly boxing I just feel like if I'm gonna sit and watch it for the duration mm-hmm. of it I would rather be there in person watching it yeah. so if you were like really into football I'd be like great let's get a season pass and that's the go. weird thing is I don't give a <laughs> flying fuck about football I'm just saying I'm, though I'm a cursory MMA fan but I love boxing <laughs> so if you were like crazy into boxing I'd be like if we were yeah. near a place where it was a thing that was going on I'd be like cool let's get passes and go we'll watch just the go. fight yeah yeah. I don't like sitting at home and watching it like on yeah. a screen because it just well I'm not trying to tear you yeah. down love I'm just saying that you know I as far as what can I do tonight, is there a good boxing documentary on, even if I've already seen it? Like, I love that Tyson documentary. Um, and the name of it has just left my brain. Um, or watching an old fight or just watching a fictional, you know, even if it's a shitty one, like Warrior, you know, <laughs> just watching something that involves the sport because it helps me remember my dad in a positive light. I'm definitely not bringing up George Carlin circa 1972 and having you sit through that <laughs> just for the seven dirty words bit. But um, we come across this movie that I've heard a lot about. The second half of the film was never revealed to me. Somehow, that plot twist never met Brett Blue. I heard it was a really sad movie, but yeah, I don't think I'd ever heard either how it ends. Yeah. Um... So we sit down and we watch Million Dollar Baby, which apparently, much like the audience at the time, uh, I thought was going to be female empowerment Rocky. I thought it was Rocky with a girl, with Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. And uh, it's not your typical sports drama. <laughs> um, before we like do any sort of like deep dive on it, just to show if you've, like me, you know, never stumbled across Million Dollar Baby, it was released in 2004. So I think I was like an eighth grader when this movie came out. And it won in the Academy Best Picture Director, Actress, and Supporting Actor. So everybody you see that's in the main group of characters, Clint didn't win for actor, um, but he won director. So everybody got an Academy Award that night. I don't, I don't want to be that person that, like disses other people because it's not that he's not talented. Are you taking shots at Clint Eastwood? I am. You're it's gonna not, go after Dirty Harry? It's not that the man he's, with no name. It's the not, fistful of dollars. It's <laughs> not that he's not talented. Um, and his performance, even a million dollar baby, was you know a good performance. Mm-hmm. But I feel like personally, Hillary Swank carried that movie. Yeah, that's why she won Best Actress. And I feel like any time Clint Eastwood directs a movie that he also stars in, he likes to make that movie pretty much entirely about him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of why it ended the I, way it ended. I've seen numerous complaints, and I do want to get into the complaints against the movie because the ADA had an issue with this film. Um, 
the, the disabilities people. Oh, yeah. I, was like, I don't know, I, I don't the know if they're called the ADA now that I think about it, because I think that's just called the Americans with Disabilities Act. So I, whoever deals with that, they had a huge issue. Um, there was a huge issue of sexism and racism. I read all the one-star reviews and all the ten-star reviews, and I try to find something in the middle, you know, where it's like, well, these people are way too upset. These people are way too give me a hug. Um, but yeah, I guess we could just dive into it. I had something at the end of that that left my brain. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, no, it was, we were watching it I, in honor of your dad. What, Does that trigger? No. Um, yeah. One more. Fun fact, this film was filmed in 37 days. Yeah, a lot of films yeah. are... It won the Academy, or was released or whatever, in December, but it hadn't even been bought by the studio in, like, June or July. <laughs> Which is... I don't know. I don't like that about films, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like studios give you a limited, a very limited budget a lot of the time mm -hmm. and a very limited timeline. And I think then, Clint had to put up some of his own money. They were only working like a $30 million budget for it. Which may be the case. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of people that have had successful careers do invest their own money, but they get return on the back end for it. Um, which we've, we've talked about that before, I think, in a different episode. But, like, there's an aggressive time crunch with um, feature length films and like Brett and I have done short films that we worked on for multiple weeks yeah, and the weeks idea, on 15 minutes yeah mm -hmm. the idea that something that's like five times as long you know you're supposed to crank out in 30 days is absurd to me and that's why you have these 12 mm -hmm. plus hour shifts and the burnout and <clears throat> yeah, you, you were and saying that there were a shitload of lawsuits because the crew would have to drive home at and they yeah, would like, and fall be asleep. exhausted yeah. and yeah there was a whole um safety movement after that girl not for this movie by no the way. not for this it's movie. just something um, Kristen told me in a walmart parking lot <laughs> that i remember after uh, that girl died and her name was sarah I, I guess i shouldn't be that's rude to just be like that girl um mm -hmm. sarah died in i think a set in georgia whenever the train hit the tracks and there was just like a huge movement of you remember what movie that was I think it was called The Midnight Rider. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it ever got released because there was a huge lawsuit because several people got hurt. Because they basically had the crew on, on a live a, track. On a bridge, on a yeah. live track. So when the train came through, they couldn't get off yeah, the bridge fast enough. You either had to jump or get hit. Yeah. Well, you couldn't even jump because I can't remember if it was rocks below them mm -hmm. or like really deep water, but you couldn't jump. Yeah, but so. those were basically your options. Would die that way or get hit yeah, by the train. So the makeup artist was like clinging to the mm. trestle of the track and her arm like got yanked back by the force of the train and her arm got shattered. But yeah, it was hold on for dear life or you're going to die. And unfortunately, Sarah didn't survive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there was a huge pushback on... Um, safety regulations on set and there's been a lot of stunt doubles and stuff who have died too doing stunts and yeah. there's been some kind of like investigations with stuff like that like are they taking enough precautions and part of that whole movement was are the long hours actually safe for the crew and obviously the answer to that is no <laughs> um that should be pretty obvious unfortunately um, I don't think that's really changed as of yet. The standard, I feel like, for most film days is you're going to be there for at least 12 hours, probably longer. And then you have to be back the next morning. 
you know. Yeah. So it's it's not reasonable or safe, and there's no reason why a feature length film should be banged out that quickly. Yeah, especially if you're Eastwood, you're in your seventies, you've got God's money. <laughs> yeah, and if take you, your time with it, you're gonna if you. My theory on it, um, and I think our fifteen minute shorts taking almost a month, sometimes a little more than a month at times. Um, you make great films because you're taking sometimes more time than would be necessary to think through frame by frame. And so if you're making a... Don't make this whole episode negative. <laughs> um, so if you're making a two-hour film and you've got months to work on those 15-minute segments, you're going to make a stronger project. I mean, there is something to be said, I guess, about fuck it, that's the shot, go. But Kubrick wouldn't shoot a film like that, you know? Like, he, he, he's like, no, run it again. It's not right, run it again. It's not right, run it again. He tortured his fucking people because he was Kubrick, so maybe he's not the right example to use. But taking your time with it, making the shifts shorter, you know, making the crew tighter with each other instead of creating this tension or frustration in your actors because they have to get it right in one or two takes because you've only got 40 days. Mm. You know, I, I think you would have a better product if you relaxed everybody. Yeah, and like, if your crew is exhausted and your actors are exhausted, they're not going to be giving you their best performance. Um, mm -hmm. I think our stuff takes so long is because we have day jobs. You know, obviously, if we could dedicate eight hours a day yeah, to... Yeah, we can dedicate an hour maybe, you know, every other day. Yeah, like if we could do a full eight-hour shift, you know, our stuff would probably get done faster. But um, I don't think there's realistically any reason, period, why anyone should be working more than an eight-hour shift. Mm -hmm. I feel like... 12-hour days are absurd, and I don't think even hospital staff should be working 12-hour days. No. Do you really want your doctor taking care of you when he's about to fall asleep himself? I was in the Air Force guarding a fucking landing strip. They forgot to... Our shift at 14 hours was about to end. And a base-wide exercise kicked off. My partner and I were forgotten about. And then got maybe sent home. I don't even really fucking remember. Um, for like half an hour and then got called by our flight chief who didn't realize that we'd already worked a 24-hour shift back into the thing and we they didn't figure out that we hadn't slept in 32 hours until i got screamed at for having a beard i'd grown a beard <laughs> like not a beard beard but enough stubble Five for the air shadow. force yeah for the air force to be pissed off for me not shaving they're like why haven't you shaved and i was like i haven't been back to my dorm i've been in this fucking truck for the past day and a half and we were driving down the airstrip because that's all we could do all night at the last little bit just pounding red bulls trying to Did like you take turns like sleeping no not you, you're not allowed to sleep oh. so <laughs> we're going like five miles an hour up and down this airstrip chugging all these goddamn energy drinks trying to get awake at one point i had a lip in both sides of my mouth and a lit cigarette in my hand yes. just trying to get my blood pressure you know to go up so that i could we would switch seats you know like we'd drive down and drive back up and then we'd get out and stretch and switch seats and get, doing the best we could to stay awake but at one point i'm talking to my boy 
and I see a guy in a wheelchair break onto the fucking flight line, and he's going after one of the airplanes. So I veer the truck, hit the accelerator, damn near hit one of the planes, skid out, and start to get out of my truck to challenge him when my guy grabs me by the shoulder, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing right now? I'm hallucinating. Uh, open fire on a hallucination of a man in a wheelchair going yeah. like 15 miles an hour toward one of the aircraft. So yeah, that sleep deprivation is no fucking joke. So that's a bit <laughs> more extreme. I mean, I don't think most people in most jobs are pushed that far. But yeah. still, I mean, there's no reason. Anyone... I turned out fine. <laughs> Did you though? <laughs> but there's no reason anyone should be working more than a 12-hour shift. So yeah, there's no reason why. I'm sorry. Um, big studios. I know you don't want to pay. Uh... But they're dead. I mean, you can give them a eulogy. <laughs> I know you don't want to pay more to keep the actors there for more days, but um, I don't think most of you are hurting for money. No. You can you can afford to shoot for two months instead of one <laughs> month. Um, yeah, I no, I. Uh, that aside, I, I I think this movie could have been something entirely different, and I get not wanting to do a cliche boxing movie because I mean, literally just doing a Rocky movie, but with a female lead yeah. probably wouldn't have been the movie there. I, what I'm disappointed in, while we're still on disappointments, but I do want to throw some praise on this thing at some point. Um, what I'm most disappointed in is I don't know shit about women's boxing. I've watched men's boxing my entire life. It wasn't cool for females to be on a fight on the TV in my family until Ronda Rousey was kicking everybody's ass. And now it's like, yeah, I'll watch two girls fight. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit. But, like, I don't know anything about the Women's Boxing Association. And we don't get any sort of a glimpse into the WBA in this movie. Well, you and I watched, which I'm assuming that's probably in your notes, The Untold. Um, I, I didn't because I couldn't remember her name. Oh, it's Christy something. Yeah. Um, there's that was a fucking incredible. Documentary on Netflix, and the series itself is called Untold, but mm -hmm. I think this particular one was called The Deal with the Devil or something like that. Yeah. Um, and she was like one of the first like successful female boxers. Her name was Christy something. I can't mm -hmm. remember. Christy Martin. Um, I knew it started with the M. I was like, oh, I'll get there. Uh, Christy. <laughs> she Martin. was a bad bitch. She <laughs> was just knocking people left and fucking right. It really felt to me like Million Dollar Baby was very vaguely based on mm -hmm. this lady's life because it was weird because we watched Million Dollar Baby first and then we watched um, the Untold documentary yeah. the very next day and it was weird how similar some of it was. I wouldn't be surprised. I, there, Million Dollar Baby is based on a short story by an author that I've never read so like I'm I'm looking forward to possibly reading that collection of short stories. It's called Tales from the Corner, and Million Dollar Baby is one of those stories. Uh, I'd be curious if that came out before or after the thing with Christy, because mm -hmm. it, it, it very much feels like, oh, this badass bitch from a trailer park just out here knocking bitches out in the like first round probably, winds up in the hospital. <laughs> I feel like it probably came out after. There were some like odd similarities, mm -hmm. but... Like, they allude to, and Hilary Swank crushed this role. Yeah, accent on point. Yeah. Um, and, like, her, like, level of dedication and, like, even just the, like, really subtle, like, you could see her progress, but it, they didn't, like, really point it out. It was just, like, one day she'd just be slightly better at yeah. it. Well, that's one of the things that I have on my notes. Um The use of Maggie's improvement on the bags as a pacing device. Mm -hmm. I don't know... If I've seen that before, outside of maybe Rocky, 
You know, because typically, even in Rocky, he's a fighter. You know, he's a damn good fighter. You, but we get the weird things where it's like he's jogging down the street and he has to do like the stairway run when he's finally in shape, you know. So we, we see his jogging as a stage of progress. Or he moves from the punching bag to the meat factory where he's punching the, the cows. We get him chasing the rooster around in like Rocky Three. This quack you know, just shit Grace Lightning or whatever the fuck Mickey tells him. <laughs> but um I've seen different pacing elements in boxing movies. I don't know if it's ever been as simple yet as a symbol <laughs> um, as a speed bag. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked that element. That you could tell her footwork was sloppy, her hands were too slow. She didn't know what she was doing. This guy's not gonna train her. Sure, borrow my bag, but I want my bag back. She pays for her own bag. She gives the bag back. She gets better. They're just using this as a pacing element yeah. for the entirety of the movie, or half of the movie, and the bad shit goes down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I find it interesting that they do that. So you get this, like, really lovely, like, subtle, we see her improve, mm-hmm. and then supposedly she becomes really successful, and we skip over all of it. Like, at the end, she's like, I was in magazines and stuff, yeah. and we don't see any of that. That was another huge, one of the one-star complaints. Where yeah. Like, at no point is Clint Eastwood dealing with a promoter and my complaint with not knowing enough about the WBA like we see in the Untold documentary that she gets attached to dipshit uh, with the fucking flags Don King yeah. um, you don't get anything like that in Million Dollar Baby but you do get that in like Rocky 2 <laughs> and even if maybe she didn't have like a promoter that worked for her like the fact that we acknowledge in passing that this stuff has happened and then we kill this character off and then the movie is really just about Clint Eastwood bugs me. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. Like I mean, I guess we could have if that was really going to be the story, we could have still killed her off. I did actually read some complaints about the implication that if you're disabled life isn't worth yeah. living. Um being See, a frustration. I, I, I hear that, and I don't want to draw myself down the same road I did in our major pain episode. Like, I, I hear that, and I understand that, but I don't think that she wanted to die simply because she was paralyzed. I think she wanted to die because from the very beginning, Maggie just wanted to be a boxer. And after the amputation of the leg it becomes very clear to her that she's never going to be the boxer. And I've read all these other things where it was like, what that fucking psycho did to her would have got her disqualified and possibly jailed, and that disqualification would have given Maggie the linear world championship for the last bit of her life. And I think that would have been a beautiful fucking angle if because of the sucker punch... I mean, she won the fight anyway, but because of the sucker punch, that chick would have automatically been disqualified. Yeah. She would have been the world champion, paralyzed in the hospital bed, and that is such a powerful position they put, they could have put that character in, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, I can never defend my title. I've reached my goal. Euthanize me. But you're right. Instead, they give the power to Clint Eastwood's yeah. you know early Gran Torino performance. <laughs> Which I, I will say I do think that is something to take into consideration I think there are 
there it's true there are people mm. that are real people that are alive in this world that have very specific passions and if you took those passions away from them i don't think that they would find life meaningful if i lost my right hand and i couldn't write i don't know what i would do with myself except you could i would dictate, dictate. or yeah. learn to write with my left yeah. hand i guess but yeah um but i, I think if you were physically completely paralyzed mm-hmm. and all you had yourself was just you know your head basically yeah um, you probably would feel similar. I think there are definitely people out there Like in a life. Johnny get your gun situation? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there are definitely people out there, if you take away their purpose, they don't feel purpose in life. So I don't find the idea that she would want to die specifically insulting to disabled people. I think maybe the way they handled it was incredibly insensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the sentiment behind it is, though. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know, it bugs me that I feel like the movie was technically really about her growth and her progress, mm-hmm. and then at the tail end, we just threw her away. Yeah. And then it became because a movie. Because it's a, it's a letter that Morgan Freeman is reading to Clint Eastwood's daughter, and which is like a explained. sloppy fucking, did you know that they misspelled whatever it is that... Macu- Le- yeah, whatever. Macusler, yeah, the Gaelic like thing. And it, it actually means it's something completely different. Yeah, the Irish community was fucking. Do what? It means my pulse. Yeah, and he calls it my heartbeat, my blood. Mm-hmm. And so, like he, it makes sort of sense for his character because he's still learning Gaelic for some unknown goddamn reason, yeah. except for the fact that he wanted to walk her out to bagpipes and she wasn't Irish. <laughs> All right, we're shitting on it too hard, love. Well, <laughs> I mean, like. It, it was an interesting premise and it built up well, but yeah, the back half of it really kind of tossed the movie aside. Like, we leave mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman's character kind of, like, abandoned as now well. Now he's officially homeless because the gem owners just murdered a woman and is on the lam. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he can't just stay there and keep collecting income from it because the property isn't registered to him. It's not yeah. his business, so... And then, I don't know, it just became like a woe is me for Clint Eastwood movie at the end for me, and I didn't like that. Like, I I felt like... It does the same thing in Gran Torino, which is why I was comparing it to that, is it's really a movie about these Korean immigrants, and he takes the racist next-door neighbor character and makes the audience, you know love him for his change, and then he dies because the Koreans can't protect themselves. And voila, we're all supposed to be sad that Clint Eastwood's dead. Yeah, it's a white savior movie. It's the same thing as Fistful of Dollars. Part of the reason I'm not a huge Clint Eastwood fan is I and he's. I refuse to watch his war films about Afghanistan and Iraq or whatever which one he was. He's the one about the sniper. Older actor, um, so I I don't think it would be terribly far fetched if he had kind of an old boy attitude. I don't know. He could be a very lovely man in real life. He could. Very thoughtful and very considerate. I feel like the last thing I watched of his, like <laughs> as a person, was that time that he sat down next to an an empty chair and then pretended Barack Obama was in it, and he just dressed down Barack Obama, who wasn't actually there. And it was a weird. Yeah, I just I feel like generally speaking, he's one of those actors who is like, I've got the money, I'm funding the project, it's about me. Yeah. I'm like, mm, you know, but your co-star did a better job than you did. A hell of a better job. <laughs> uh, can I get a couple of my positives yeah. in? It wasn't an all-around bad movie. No. Just, the um, ending was bizarre. But uh, it's not Rocky with a girl. 
I did not see it coming when the stool gets placed at a weird angle. I don't know who places the stool. And they show in such slow motion him grabbing for it and like they delay it so long. I'm like, he realistically could have grabbed it in this time frame and pulled it away. He's a boxer. He's got really fast hands. Um, (laughs) I never saw that happening. Like we talked about it. I paused it at one point because I think I had to walk the dog. And I was like, we're an hour in. She's about to fight for the title. What is this movie going to do to me? You know, like, is this going to be a really awkward Clint Eastwood falls in love with Hillary Swank? What the fuck are we doing here? He did kind of weirdly have moments where it seemed like that might be the case, but then she kept referring to him as her dad, too. So I was like, this is confusing. Yeah, I I thought they were going to build this father-daughter relationship to replace the one that he'd already lost for some unknown goddamn reason. Um... But killing her, you know, physically halfway through the body, through the movie, uh, killing her body physically halfway through the movie, I didn't see that happening. So the the, the pacing made sense at that part. You know, it, it bothered me. You know, up until she gets paralyzed. Um, and when you're watching a sports movie on any level, and there are very few exceptions, it's almost like watching a romantic comedy. It's got a a beat sheet that it needs to run through. So, you know, if it's a football movie, with the exception of the one where the whole team dies in the plane crash... Um, oh, I know exactly We Are Marshall. Yes, that's actually um, a really good movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with the exception of We Are Marshall, or... Rocky, where he loses the title fight, you know, like we're expecting he's going to go in too early unprepared. He's going to lose. We're going to introduce the bad guy who he's going to beat in the third act. And then he's going to go home with his hands in the air. Cinderella man follows that plot. I love Cinderella man, but it follows that plot. Um, Warrior follows that plot. Um, and all the other sports movies, fucking Friday Night Lights or the one about baseball with uh, the guy that was in Waterworld. <laughs> like, they all they all follow that very familiar romantic comedy, you know, type plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a sports movie where halfway through our main character is unable to continue the sport. And while I would argue that it's not executed perfectly. The introduction of her trailer park family, especially when she buys the house, and we get that heartbreaking moment where the mother's like, I'd rather... An ungrateful cunt. An ungrateful cunt. Mm. And then we get that closer connection to Clint. Complex characters is the other thing I want to talk about. Um, This broke the mold. I mean, we get a lot of the cliches in the first half, almost to the point where you're like, we get it, I've seen this movie before. And then she hits her neck on the stool, and we are in Unbreakable. (laughs) Whatever that Denzel Washington movie is. Like, something more along those lines, where now it's about mental power and not about physical speed. Thoughts? But they don't... They don't really, though, because... It is, after she gets paralyzed, it is just a steady deterioration of her. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get, 
sometimes neglect does happen in hospital settings, and sometimes that stuff is really going on. Yeah, my dad got a bed sore, and that was the last one. He got dropped a bunch, and that was my big problem. There, there are, um, in modern day medicine at least, like a lot of inspections that go on with stuff like that, and there are teams that come around that aren't like nurses that are literally just responsible for making sure... Sponge bath, change the bedpan. No, not even that. Like, not the nurses' aid. There are, like, groups of people that I guess probably to help keep the hospital from getting sued that go around that, like, come in and go, oh, we're with whatever it's called. And they're like, do you mind if we just kind of take a look at your skin? We're just monitoring whether or not, you know, you're being rotated enough and just making sure bed sores aren't developing. And if they do have a bed sore, they kind of monitor um, what the bed sore looks like. So they're, like, watchdogs, basically, to make sure the staff that are there are doing, are doing that. Which I don't know if that's always been around. Maybe, you know, back in the day, um, that wasn't quite as prominent. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like, realistically, period, if a patient developed such an like intense bed sore, they had to amputate her leg, the hospital would have been sued. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's their job, to rotate her. So, like, for no reason, we just, like, break this character down. Like, she gets a bed sore, she loses her leg, she bites her own tongue off, they keep her doped up, and, like, yeah. there is no mental triumph of any kind for this Af- person. Yeah, after she refuses to sign the paper with her teeth, um, she kills herself and leaves everything to her family, because we never established that she left any money to... Uh- Clint Eastwood's character. I don't think it works that way. Um, If you're younger, like if you had, if you and I had children. She's 32 in the movie, or however old when she died. 35. No, but I mean, like if you're younger than the family that's still there, I think you have to will it to them. I don't think it automatically goes to them. So she gave it to the government. Basically, I think. (laughs) I don't know for sure how that works, but like if you and I had a child that was our dependent. And we died, and we didn't leave a will. Our belongings would go to our dependent. But if our child was in their 30s, I don't think it automatically goes to them. I think you have to will it to them. So the fact that she was a single, unmarried woman, I don't know that anybody gets her money. I thought that's why it rolled back into the family. They get it in court. But I might be wrong. It didn't show the family again after that? No, there were a lot of open-ended questions at the end of the film. But I don't think think that's how it works if you're single. Um, I don't think it automatically just goes to your family. I have no idea. (laughs) But But it's it's a weak ending for the character that we spend all this time showing she's so strong and she's so... Is it a weak ending or is it just because we thought we were watching a sports movie? It's a weak ending because... If we had been going with this character is stubborn and she wants what she wants, we would have established she found a way to knock her own oxygen tube and she went out the way that she wanted. She had to still essentially be saved by Clint Eastwood. He had to come in and do it for her. Is the stronger move she bites out her own tongue after he refuses to kill her? No, I think that's a weird plot line. I don't know why they put that in there at all. I think it's just to show her desperation to die, but if they would have just let her die that way... Like maybe two or uh, two or three other things might need to happen. My problem with the tongue bite out is it is a little Johnny Get Your Gun, where the dude finds a way. I think that's how he winds up killing himself is like to hit the tile head first and just try to fucking like because he's got no arms, no legs, no eyes, no tongue. You know. <laughs> but they they talk about. The story about her dad taking the dog out into the woods, and he talks about how he wants to get a cabin, and we could have even done that. 
she was physically well enough to be up in a wheelchair and he was like yeah we could get yeah. you one of those wheelchairs that you can move Blow around in by blowing in it yeah. and even if she had been like I'm gonna do that so I can get out of here but I still don't want to exist anymore could have done all of that and she could have gone out her own way outside of the hospital mm-hmm. like I I don't know to me it, it is literally just we watched this really strong person completely deteriorate until he came in and finally saved her at the end yeah because he's the best corner man that's ever been. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Well, my last point is I like that there were complex characters. <laughs> no, we can talk and about <laughs> it. <laughs> I, mean, they like, are. I, I went into it thinking we were going to sing the praises of Million Dollar Baby, and I was like, well, never mind. Um, the first half was good. Yeah. Um, I liked the, the euthanasia, but you're right. Yeah. No, I, I can't argue... It is very insulting to the disabled. It's very insulting as she is our female lead, um, and she's stronger. I think um, it should have been on her grounds. Yeah, she wanted to die. She should have figured out a way to die, and she shouldn't have been killed by the seventy-two-year-old gunslinger, you know, who just walks off into the darkness after uh, Morgan Freeman witnesses him murder a. Uh, 35-year-old woman. Well, I mean, that's, um, like, the whole point of her character, which, I mean, does make her a complex character, is she desperately wants this man to train her. Yeah. But then we establish, as much as she respects him, She becomes the dog, which is odd and sexist. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we establish, um, as much as she respects him, she's very hard-headed herself, and she wants to do things her own way, and I guess that's how she, we say she gets disabled, even though she definitely got sucker-punched. Yeah. Um, and it's dumb that she apologized to him for the fact that she got disabled. I didn't like that either. Mm. But, like, we've established this is a character that, like, respects this man and, like, trusts this man to train her, but also trusts her own intuition. So, yeah, we could have had this, you know, he was like, she asked him, can you put me down? And he was like, I can't do it. And then it was like, well, she was stubborn and she found a way, yeah. you know, like, it would have been more true to the character, I feel like. Instead of put me down, don't do it. I'll bite my own tongue off. Fail at that. Now I need you to kill me. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean by the complexity of the character, and it's a discussion that always happens in Morgan Freeman movies post-Driving Miss Daisy, is Morgan Freeman, I love him to goddamn death, but he is very often used as the, the, voiceover. the voiceover, voice of reason, the calming, because his voice is goddamn gorgeous. It's not because he's black, but... Um, he's used very often as the uh, minority with the correct mindset mm-hmm. type character. So at the end of um, Shawshank Redemption, you know, Andy Dufresne climbed through three miles of shit to come out clean on the other side. <laughs> like he's, he's used as that now in his older age. Um, however, he plays so Beautifully, I don't believe that he was a boxer outside of the contact lens they gave him to replicate and a fake guy. You can totally tell he's yeah. not blind to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of that, which is just if they would have used 67 days instead of 37 days, maybe it would have been a bit cleaner. He is the gritty conscience of our Clint Eastwood character, as well as the matured version of our Hillary Swank, because he gave his eye 
for his need to be in that ring. And he, I can't remember how many fights he said he won. He goes, but that was my 49th fight or whatever the fuck it is that he says. He goes, I wanted 49. And I got my 49th fight and lost my eye. Opens it up with that whole speech about detached retinas and bleeding kidneys. and like He has this real love for the sport of boxing where he only semi-trusts his coach and only semi-trusts Hillary. He, he brings her into the bar to meet the other boxing promoter and is basically like, do whatever you're going to do. He's our God character. So he's consistent in that he understands why everybody in the film does what they do. Uh, after... I can't remember Clint Eastwood's dude's name. Uh, after he comes and asks pretty much, what do I do about Maggie? We get this speech from Morgan Freeman where he's like, well, she got a shot. She never would have got the shot without you. Yeah. You know, and justifies the way that he feels. So through Morgan Freeman, we see the complexity of these two characters who couldn't come together any other way. I don't understand why they tried actively to give that permission to or that position to the priest instead of just giving it to Morgan like they they he has this weird beef with a catholic priest that I don't fully understand yeah. but they try to give that to the priest instead of to Morgan Morgan is our god in this movie here so everybody's similarities and differences play off of everybody else's and they become more like each other, so that all three almost become this understanding unit of a traditional team. I would argue, and this literally just came to me, so I don't have much foundation for this argument. I'm down. Morgan Freeman is actually the devil. You think he's the devil? Not literally, but if we're going to assign him a spiritual... Um... You don't call Morgan Freeman No, the but devil. like, no, hear me out. Hear he me literally out. played God. Hear me out. And I'm not, I'm not saying... I mean, he, in this movie, he played God, and in, you know, Bruce I'm, Almighty, he played God. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he literally is, but if we're going to assign some kind of spiritual meaning to him, maybe that's why he goes to the pastor, or what are they in Catholic? Priests. Priests, whatever. Whatever. I'm not religious. <laughs> um, he goes to the priest, and the priest is like, you cannot kill her, period. Mm -hmm. This will destroy you. And then Morgan Freeman's like, she had a good run. <laughs> so it's like almost that's like that's not the what angel. he says. <laughs> it's almost like the angel and the devil, where the priest is like, "Don't do it. You'll be morally lost forever." And then Morgan Freeman's like, "You could do it though. <laughs> you go for it. You do so. this. You do you." And well, Morgan and I wish they had developed him more, but like the priest is kind of like he this... knocked the shit out of that kid though. Yeah, the, he did. the actor who I definitely recognize, the black guy and the Mexican guy in the yeah. boxing gym, who pick on danger, who doesn't need to exist outside of some weird metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> you um, really have to think. About, but Which I'm definitely he knocks not. knocks the shit out of that guy. I'm definitely not legit arguing that Morgan Freeman is a the bad devil. person or the devil by any means. But if we're gonna like argue moral, like strict moral values, like the priest is like, you need to write your daughter. You need to get your shit in order. You can't kill this chick. Yeah, he's been writing the daughter. He's and been then, trying to get his shit in order. And then Morgan Freeman. Morgan's like, I just I like eating cheeseburgers well morgan freeman who we never really establish which i think is to the shame of this movie we never really establish anything about how his life ended up he's clearly got a gambling problem mm -hmm. he blows the money that he's given 
on God only knows what because he doesn't buy himself new socks or new shoes. Yes, yeah. I so, love that scene though. So these are my nighttime shoes. What happened to your daytime shoes? They're getting holes in <laughs> socks. But, but I mean, if we're gonna argue moral mm-hmm. compass, like Morgan Freeman's character is morally questionable. He's like, yeah, killer, and also I blow all my money in gambling. So. Is he impulse? Is that where we place him? Is this know. a movie about impulse that was poorly executed? But we don't establish enough about his character to be like, for sure, that's what he's doing with his money. Like, for all we know, he could be giving danger the money. Like, we never say where the money's going. He just won't go to Vegas because he's like, yeah, I'll gamble it away. All right. So that's so, my that's my new stance on Million Dollar Baby and Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood directed films in general. Um, he wants his white knight to take center stage and we leave all of these beautiful things out that could just be plucked from the ground why is he learning gaelic that is never established you know is he even irish at all he doesn't have an irish accent why is hillary coming out to bagpipes does she have some sort of a thing what beautifully done my love beautifully done I feel like we've just left ourselves with more questions and no answers. I thought we were going to come in here and defend the fuck out of the million no, dollar baby. No, it wasn't. I didn't we, hate it. We, we did an old school two star to the thing. I didn't hate it. I just. Do you want to make a pizza? Would have changed it. I do want to make pizza. I'm hungry. We're making a pizza. Pretend a pizza. We going to make pineapple and chicken because that's what Brett likes. Pineapple, chicken. <laughs> Brett's one of those weirdos of that onion. puts. Pineapple on his Barbecue pizza. sauce instead of tomato sauce. The crust is going to be fucking oh, full of cheese. Did you get more cheese? I didn't because I specifically asked you if there was a list. Well, I do. I you bought cheese at the sauce store. and pineapple. <laughs> I bought cheese at the store. We should be fine. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. I love you. And I love you guys. Where can you find us on Twitter? Uh, at the Nightmare Box. And the Instagram. At Nightmare Box Productions. Go do that shit, motherfucker.